This is Balancing Impact, uniting the greatest minds and thinkers from all different sectors statewide for one common goal, positive impact in Texas. By connecting people from the private sector, public sector, finance, and academia, we can connect each other with resources and tools to make a bigger impact on the social and environmental state of Texas. Simply put, we can do more when we work together. I'm Crystal Nelson, co-founder of the Texas Impact Alliance, which is the first and only statewide organization working to scale social and environmental impact in the state of Texas by uniting stakeholders from the private sector, academia, public sector, and finance. We believe we can do a lot more together than we can by ourselves. And the mission is to connect stakeholders, champion community, and create opportunities to scale positive and social environmental impact in the state of Texas. Now, with that, one of the things that we're focusing on is the issue that we know that we have. This is not just a Texas issue. This is a nationwide issue. But we're going to be bringing it home a little bit here in reference to talking to female founders in Texas in reference to funding. Because the fact is we know that female founders, in comparison to the male counterparts, are in reference to accessing funding are underrepresented. They get less money essentially when it comes to funding and it's just a fact. So one of the things that we're doing with Texas Impact Alliance is bringing increased awareness about this issue and we're hoping through increased awareness we can start pulling together more in reference to putting together solutions for this problem. So if you haven't already heard, we have published a report around gender lens and the state of funding for female founders in the state of Texas, but we wanted to carry that conversation, that discussion further on. We didn't want to just give a report. We want to continue the conversation. And one of the things that we've decided to do is to actually interview female founders because we really want to hear their voice, bring their voice to the stage and get their insight in reference to their journey and their tips and what they bring to the table. And today we have Rohel Abraham here, founder and CEO of Climaguard. I met Rohel a little while ago at an event and I love her product. When I heard about the product, I was instantly like, oh my goodness, I wish I had this product. I need this product. I need to get it for everyone in my family and all my friends. Essentially, and she'll tell you a lot more about it, but for people like me who's not an engineer like she is, think of it's flood season. If you're in Texas, you know that there's flooding, especially in Houston. Even if you're somewhere internationally thinking about floods, because it floods everywhere, and you're thinking about, I need to protect my car, I need to protect my belongings, this is the conversation you need to keep listening to. So I'm going to let Rohel tell you a little bit more about that. So we're so happy and excited to have Rohel here. Thank you so much for being here, Rohel. And please tell us a little bit more about you and your story. How did you get here? I know like you didn't just pop up one day as an entrepreneur. No, no. My background actually is more so from the petrochemical industry as an engineer. I was a project engineer for about four to five years before making this transition into an entrepreneur. But I definitely think those skills were transferable as far as, you know, getting a set of issues, trying to find the best fit solution, and then navigating on resources to get to the point where the problem is solved and we can move on to the next. I want to also mention, you know, you said flooding is happening everywhere. I'm in the last month of 
my first round of production. And I had a message from my manufacturers just this week. There was a typhoon that hit the East China region and about an hour away from where my products are being built is where they had extreme flooding. So um, typhoons, monsoons, hurricanes are all the same. It's all about where you are geographically in the world. So you're right. This is an issue. They're hitting coastlines all over the world. And so, but back to what you originally asked about my background and where I got started. So the idea came to me for two reasons. One, the more personal one was that I was impacted by flooding from Hurricane Harvey. My vehicle got flooded and the first floor of the condominiums that I lived in had about three feet of water flooding. Mm. And at that moment right there, you feel the sense of vulnerability because you know there's a flash flood warning, but you don't know what to do at that moment. And so that lack of understanding of just the only thing that we prepared for was having excess bottled water and food. And then you just hope for the best, right? And so then the aftermath, I think, is what really triggered this type of like this vigor to like find something, an option out there to where people could guard themselves from having to relapse, such as myself, and having to go through this process again. You know, when you're living alone, you don't have a car, you have to rely on other people. And Houston's a big city. When you want to replace items or fix items, you need a vehicle. And then on top of it, there's many people who are dependent on their vehicle for um, financial stability. And so having to see it firsthand through my neighborhood, people that I have gotten to know over the years, it hit me. And I, I knew I wanted to do something about it prior to you know returning back and, and, and starting a career back in the engineering field. So that's basically the story of uh, why, my why, I would say. Uh, I wanted a product that was going to have an impact with people in more than one way. And on top of it, reduce the amount of generated waste that is created and unavoidable when it comes to flood damage. Well, we're going to take one step back. So okay. you've told us your why and you've told yeah. us about more about climate guard. Mm-hmm. But even with that, and we're, well, you know that we have listeners who are, they're female founders, but there's actually, I'm sure there's men listening too. So just mm-hmm. founders in general, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was this like a, you just knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you just went to it? I mean, what did you want to be when you were a kid? How did that progress? Well, I wanted to actually originally become an architect and then I just like math and I like drawing. And I think the my imagination and creativity has always been in the back of my head, especially when I had time away traveling I always think of ideas of, you know, you and your friend would sit around and be like, we need this, we need that, you know, and we're always finding ways to like, you know, just dream up if we could, we would ideas. And then you get bogged down by the day-to-day responsibilities. And I never decided to pursue something like an entrepreneurship opportunity at that time, because you think to yourself also, you know, the daunting task of not having capital or not having connections. And so you're just a bunch of, you know, friends in the same position, just thinking of ideas, but not knowing where to go. And then this aha moment happened, I think in my, you know, when I reached my thirties in the sense of we have access due to the platforms that we've constructed in our generation of, you know, we were talking about before earlier fiber or just being able to travel or talk on WeChat, you know, and just, meet people in all different walks of life that you would never have been able to encounter 
10 plus years ago with such ease that literally builds the bridges of the barriers that I once in my head thought were going to be such so hard to overcome. And so once I came to that like awareness, I was like, you know what? I just need to go out there and just see where I can go and just keep on pushing that envelope. And then you hear these stories and you're like, yeah, it's just, you know, we're just in a different time generation and it's possible. So then entrepreneurship became more attractive to me just because I was able to rationalize the feasibility of it. Wow, that's amazing. So it sounds like you have a strong engineer background. So -hmm. when it comes to building the product compared to, because some people get into business and they're really good at a key skill set. So they can do X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. And then they get into business and they realize there's a whole set of another, another set of skills that they have to actually learn. So you can be good at building the product or building the service or being the doctor or the engineer, but the whole business aspect, how was that journey learning? Did you, were you already pretty comfortable with just business as far as marketing and raising funding and just all of the day-to-day things that come along with a business? What was that like for you? I always had a little bit of a curiosity of what you know, the different facets of a business, as you mentioned. And with that, I did do my first introduction to a small business workshop was a few years ago where I went, me and my best friend, we went to this workshop that was run by the Houston Urban League and it's free. And so they'd have every day a topic of, you know, marketing, business, right? You know, putting together a business plan. And then also just testimonies of people who've started their own business and how they've been like navigated through that in Houston. And then the next, I think I held it in the back of my head, but the next leverage that I was able to take advantage of due to the, you know, the great support system that surrounds us is score. And I knew, okay, I want to do, I, I have to build this product. After I did a lot of research, I realized it was not feasible to do it in the US. It was too expensive. I wouldn't be able to bring it to market in a price point that would benefit the people that I would love to target, which is the majority of those who are going to be impacted. And I went on score and I looked for someone who had done had backgrounds in manufacturing international import exports. So, you know, with those mentorship programs that are out there, I use that to help educate me on like what are the practical approaches right now that I could do. And then what could I also learn on my own just based on what they tell me? You need to be aware of A, B, and C. And so once I got, got like an understanding of the first beginning steps, I, it became a role of like always trying to, you know, tackle an issue with just being resourceful like that. And um, I think that's what it, the key was for me. My, like as how far I got so long at this point was just kind of finding, being, being really resourceful regardless of what the challenges were. So, yeah. We're going to take another step back here because (laughs) as we're talking, I want people to have in their head a vision of what this product actually is. So could you actually like describe this product? How would you use this product? Mm -hmm. Could you give us more like a visual, a hearing visual (laughs) of what this product is? So as we're talking, people have a really good picture of what does this look like? The name of the product is TPE, which stands for pretty straightforward description, temporary protective enclosure. I wanted to call it temporary protective enclosure because it could be used, you know, to protect from other weather conditions. However, 
the most important reason I designed this bag and what it's for is for flooding. This is an enclosure that is, is folds up and is compact enough to sit, to be held into a carrying case. But as you roll it out, it rolls out completely flat and it's almost like a soft shell clam shell in a sense. I call it the clam shell just because it's like you're protecting your pearls in a clam shell and it like opens up 180. It's a, the bottom portion of it is it's all one the same material, this custom made waterproof material that is a PE blend with a woven material. And it's essentially a product that could be reused multiple times. It has several years of shelf life. And on top of it, you could use it indoors or outdoors. You can use it in your home when you have your own, you know, your personal valuables, you just lay on the floor, you throw things inside the bag as you, and you zip it around once you are done filling it up, basically, essentially. So all five walls are one piece, and then just the top cover is the only part that removes. And so you have a, this excess amounts of coverage all around the sides. And because it's waterproof, it does start floating once certain a height of water is outside or in your home, which gives you the extra amount of coverage as well. And it can sit in water for days. I have a video out and the video that I have out, we had the manufacturer plant manager put her car in the one of our prototypes and she left it there over the weekend. You know, we have a lot of people behind us that really care about making sure this product is something that would be practical and beneficial for what is intended purpose. But yeah, I hope I described it good enough. Uh, let me know. Wow. So it kind of almost sounded like, like if you can imagine a big duffel bag. Yes. That's waterproof, but you can actually put your car in it. You can put your couch in it. You can yeah. put your bed in it. Yes. Your you rugs put, in it. You know, your grandfather clock, your, your couch. Yeah. Whatever you think is valuable to you. It's, you know, it's, it comes down to the, the user it's, and on top of it, it's able to be set up with a single person. And that was another key factor for me because I lived on my own and I wanted something that I could set up by myself. So the fact that it can lay out open 180 and you can drive your car on top or you can just roll and like drag whatever is you know precious to you that is somewhat heavy on top makes it to where it's user friendly and you can use it in a short period of time. I literally... I've used the bag m multiple times or the enclosure multiple times. So I'm maybe more comfortable with it, but I could set it up, have my car placed inside within five minutes. But I would say for the average user, within 10 minutes, you should be able to, you know, unzip it, drive your car on top and zip it back around and your car would be safe. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm going to be ordering one. Like there's a, you guys are going to be hearing about a pre-order, how you can like get one of these at the end of the show. So just keep yeah. listening, but you, you should definitely be ordering one of these. I want to touch on something that you said, you mentioned score and you mentioned the urban league. Mm -hmm. So these are people that are actually helping you because this is about female founders. Mm -hmm. We want to dive a little bit more into that. And we want to ask you about, in reference to your, advocates and the people supporting you, do you find that more females supported you or more men supported you? Or was it more like 50-50? And then out of that, how was that experienced? Was there different things that you were able to get from men versus women? Talk a little bit about that. So I would say for me, just my personal network is those who have supported me, um, I would say through encouragement and 
positivity, which is so important when you're just kind of navigating yourself in a new space in general, are females. Those who I've found who've been able to give me some expert guidance were actually men, but I literally am just allowing opportunities happen for me as they come. I'm trying to be receptive, you know, receive the blessings that come my way. Hence why I'm so grateful to have been part, you know, of this upcoming cohort with Div Inc. because they are focusing on helping women and people of color in being able to launch their business. And so in my mind, I would say starting off, a lot of women had supported this vision that I had just because they were also, you know, people, my, my, my colleagues as, as professional women. And then when it comes to entrepreneurship, I've actually been kind of more men than women who've kind of helped guide me in the right path to where I'm at today. Do you think that your past experience working in the engineer field, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of men in that field, there may be more men unfortunately yes. than women. That's why we have the whole STEM thing coming out and stuff like that. Do you think that helped prepare you for now dealing with obstacles that other women that may not have been in that same career field may be encountering now that they're an entrepreneur, but as you've already, because we're talking about a lot today in reference to male and female founders mm-hmm. um, in reference to funding and access to capital, but mm-hmm. even before capital and stuff, I know within the engineer world, there's challenges even within that. Yes. Do you think that helped you for today? Yeah, for sure. Um, just because you have to push through. It's a very, when the environment is not tilted towards you, you have to really allow yourself to adapt and, and, and maneuver in a way that could still allow you to be a part of that space and be successful in that space. And Definitely working in the oil and gas business as a, I mean, I'm a petite black woman, so there's not many of me in that space. And you have to have grit. You have to just, you know, hold your own and be very confident, always show confidence. And I had to carry that even when I was searching for uh, manufacturers and testing facilities as a person who's representing the brand as a company you know, I wanted that, I carried that same confidence with me trying to make those partnerships happen and, and share the vision that I had in order to be able to achieve what I've achieved at this point. Even the people that I'm working with in China right now, the ones who are making decisions with me are the men. And then the women there have been the ones who kind of more so are supporting those roles. And it's important for me to work with people who have both women and men in their business, in, integral, actively engaged in their business. If it's not in that case, then I'm not going to feel safe, uh, feel like they're going to respect my opinions or take, take it as serious as I'd want them to. So that's a, a big a part of my decision-making as well, is just you know, making sure there's, there's evidence of women leadership with whatever organization that I've worked with. Can you tell us, you mentioned Dev Inc., and I know some listeners are probably like, what, what is that? Can you tell us just a little bit about that and how are you involved in it? So Div Inc. is an accelerator program in Austin, Texas. It's going to also branch out to Houston, I think, to 2020, so next year. And it's an accelerator program that is focused on helping minorities and women and men who need the accessibility that you mentioned to understanding like what it will take for us to be able to 
present ourselves and have these uh, conversations and engaging conversations with possible investors or business partnerships and making sure that the framework is in place in order to be able to conduct these types of relationships or networks. It's an accelerated program that is 12 weeks long. So I start actually end of August and it ends in November and we, we have a showcase and I'm really excited because it's a program that there's going to be 12 other startups that are going to be participating. And so I'm eager to network and meet and bond with all of them and learn from all of them. And on top of that, I'll be in Austin. I, that's where I went to undergrad. So it'd be great just to kind of go back to my, to my college town and then come back and forth in, to um, Houston in, in between. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. I feel like it's perfect for in alignment with what my, my needs are. And they're, I've been completely transparent and they understand it. And, but yeah, I'm really excited. Super excited to start. Well, we are excited for you and we'll definitely be waiting to hear follow-up on what was the outcome of being with them. And if for you listeners, if you're wondering how can I get more information, we'll be leaving the links to everything we're talking about today and the links for this. So check those out. Now, this is about female founders, as we talked about in the beginning and reference to accessing funding. So how are you funding your business and what are some of the challenges, but also opportunities? Because we, many times we focus on there's challenges, there are challenges, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sometimes there's actual opportunities and there's unique things that you're able to access as opportunities. So not just looking at the challenges, but what are some opportunities in the way that you're funding your business now? To be quite honest, the funding for my business is from my own personal savings. Um, so I'm, I've completely bootstrapped this business up to this point. However, one thing that I want to stress is about how to be resourceful. Uh, I def- when I'm ready to scale, I will frame myself or this business around that type of opportunities that's that set up. But I'm trying to bring this business further as long as I can in the resources that I have in, in my hands. And due to that, res- that as a, you know, a finite factor, I made myself very resourceful in not allowing roadblocks to be the final answer. And I say that in that, um, for example, you know, there's a story I heard where I'm, I went to this one pitch competition with uh, Sarah Blakely and she told a story about how she got started. And it was very inspiring to me because she said she had $5,000 to her name and she did not have a manufacturer that would believe in her vision enough to, in order to offset and, and agree to produce her hosiery in exchange to, and then take the profits from those sales in order to repay themselves. The fact that she started with such little capital and still, and now is at a billion dollar business. I was like, and this is in the nineties. I'm like, I could do this. I, there has to be a way. And so the same type of mentality, I've taken that with me. For example, I've partnered with my, my manufacturer and we've had an agreement. The material that I'm making is custom the minimum requirement to make this material is like five tons, which is crazy amount. I mean, it's probably like 50 grand worth or so. There's no way that I would want to invest that much money. So like upfront, it just completely restrict me. And the agreement we had was for me to pay a portion of it at a time as I needed. And they would just keep the rest in stock. So they're taking on that risk for me, but because I've developed that relationship with them and 
I'm a person from the U.S. that just flew in and has made trips back and forth, traveling throughout China, trying to find a manufacturer that would work with me and also fit the, you know, the vision of what I want to see my business being involved in. And so that is just evidence in that there's never, you should never tell yourself that there's only one way to get to where you want to go. You know, you just have to find a way. And this is just one example. I have other examples where I have worked my way around being able to get myself tied up and frame a partnership to where they understand there's a long-term benefit to it. So that's my tip in um, bootstrapping is that, you know, you don't have to pay everything your own way. You could find a way that works out with partnerships, one. And then two, you know, some things you could do yourself. I, I drafted my own provisional patent and had lawyers just simply edit it for me and in order to offset the cost. So these little tricks of the trade has allowed me to get this far along within a year to where I'm ready to you know, have a product ready for sale in September. So, I mean, I guess all I could really say at this point as far as how far along I've gotten, how I got there. Wow. I'm going to try to stop saying wow, too. I know I'm saying yeah, that I'm a lot. But this is some wow stuff. <laughs> that was my favorite word, I guess. Another thing that I want to ask you, kind of piggybacking off of what you've just been talking about, is you talked about your manufacturing. And we know that supply chains can be very complex. They can mm-hmm. be very complex and a lot of people who are providing products you're going international to get mm-hmm. manufacturing so that's a whole probably another learning curve just yeah. in that can you tell us about some of the challenges in reference to your supply chain and at TIA we're really about social and environmental impact mm-hmm. and we know that transparency in supply chains is a big deal to a lot of consumers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like even if it's more future focused and what are your plans for the future in reference to your supply chain, comparing that to where you are now? I mean, what are some of the challenges that you're having and how are you overcoming some of these things? Well, I think you have to think of, of phases, you know, or stages in order to be able to reach your ultimate goal. One, yeah, sourcing is so important for me. Like I said, I want to make sure there's a sense of fair treatment and organization and structure, whoever I'm working with. So when I went to China, I visited the factories. I mean, I went all over visiting. I wasn't, it wasn't enough that you had the experience. I had to see for myself and feel the sense of camaraderie in the, in the organization and how everyone, you know, from walking through the factory to the um, staff, the management staff themselves, that there is this cohesiveness and a nice feel. So, you know, that was one. And then on top of it, there are challenges with distributions and finding, thankfully, you know, in China, it's, it's a growing market. It's a growing market that's doing very well. And so there is a lot of flexibility there. So, you know, I'm able to work with people who understand the vision and understand the impact that I'm trying to, and, I, and I'm very open and vocal about it to the point where they're willing to take on an offset cost for me in order to do that, such as even warehousing. I mean, I'm able to get some spaces that, you know, at zero cost value. And on top of that, there's a goal though, eventually to bring it to Houston and and having to store my products in Houston so that I can distribute. I feel like the central location is distribute from the Gulf coast region all the way up through the East coast of the U S where hurricanes are, heavily impacting. And so 
that phase will probably come into effect in 2020. But yeah, so I think the key is, you know, understanding there has to be smaller compromises made in between in order to get to your ultimate goal so that you're not completely putting yourself in the red or you're just backing yourself in a corner. But it can still be done in a way that you, like you said, are not going to be negatively impacting both sides. That was definitely a part of my um, decision-making is making sure that these people are the type of people who understand and they're not going to be compromising in a way that's going to take away from those who need it. So in reference to that, because we're Mm -hmm. kind of going a little bit in that area of social environmental impact, Mm -hmm. I know I read somewhere and it talked about how you were involved with Engineers Without Borders before. Now, I was surprised about this because I'd only heard about Doctors Without Borders. Mm -hmm. I'd never even heard of Engineers Without Borders. Yeah. Can you talk... One, what is Engineers Without Without Borders? borders. And then how do you connect? Because it looks like you've been involved in a lot of volunteering and giving Mm -hmm. back. How do you connect that with what you're doing now? Okay. Um, And what do you foresee for that in the future? Well, Engineers Without Borders is an organization that provides free engineering services in areas that are lacking infrastructure such as areas that may, or may be prone to mudslides and creating a barrier for them, areas that are, do not have a water system in place, and so creating water catchments from rainwater and you know, having that system installed locally or even building wells. The project that I was part of was actually focused in Ethiopia and then had to do with a marketplace that's highly dense and, and trafficked by pedestrians, and they did not have a, a restroom to provide people there. And on top of it, there was a lack of understanding when it comes to hygienic practices with you know, making sure that you're washing your hands and, and, and keeping the areas clean when a restroom is set up. So there's not just you know, creating an area for people to defecate, but also a place where they're educated on how to maintain it for themselves. So there's a lot of civil engineering projects, but same time, you know, preventive health practices that go along with it and how to manage it as well. And so that's the great thing about Engineers Without Borders. It's a, it's a fabulous organization. A lot of, there's a lot of uh, great people who support that, that network. And then you're right. I, I've always been very passionate about giving back. I feel that, you know, too much is given, much is owed to the rest. And so I try to integrate that into my life's work. This project is definitely driven by the, the impact, social impacts I want to bring along with it. So, you know, there's a lot of ways this TPE enclosure can benefit businesses, insurances, company agencies, even homeowners, but there's a huge amount of setback when it comes to maybe lower income communities from a flooding situation and also just the inabilities of being able to rebuild maybe job loss, but also just rebuilding, you know, recovering all the losses in general on top of it. And I want to make sure that that is a part of my business core values. So I've yet to kind of determine whether I want to just simply provide, you know, like donate TPEs along with, the sales that are ongoing once the business is established, 
or is it simply just having a percentage of it just set aside so that we could provide like restoring people's losses and that are impacted in natural disasters. But when this vision came to me to create this product, it wasn't just about making a business, but also to have a social impact for those who could truly benefit from protecting their vehicles or personal investments. In that and talking about, so it sounds like you're, you're really focused on impact mm-hmm. and you're focused on having a business, which is important because mm-hmm. many people have focused on impact, meaning they want to solve a social problem or an environmental problem, but then they forget the business part because you still need to be sustainable financially to be mm-hmm. able to provide that impact long-term. So it looks like you're putting both of those pieces of the pie together and where you're able to set up something where you'll be able to provide these tools, this product to people who really need it, but also still know that it has to make business sense. You have to still be able to make money mm-hmm. to keep it going long-term. Exactly. That's, a, that's 100% my goal at the end of the day. What would you say are some of the, because this still goes back to funding, when you look at the amount of nonprofits that create it, there's more women creating those nonprofits mm-hmm. than there are men. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that your business will be able to do both, in reference to funding, and what would you say to those women who they have a huge heart and I want to get out there and I want to give back or build something really great for the environment or yeah. some social cause? What would you say to them in reference to making sure that they have both pieces of the pie? I would say that sometimes when teamwork makes the dream work, I'd say that. So there is definitely roles and value for those who just simply want to give back or to create some type of initiative to help areas that have been socially like neglected. But at the same time, I think the outreach can be limited just because you're just hyper-focused in those regions. Whereas if, you know, there's an opportunity for you to have a business factor to it, you could essentially scale and expand that type of social impact that you're trying to, to have within these populations or environments that you truly are passionate about. And so just finding that balance is, I think, the way, for me, it's the only way that I feel I'd have most control over versus me having to go around and asking for donations, asking for sponsorships. Like, I'm not going to have as much control over the amount and extent of what I could scale. Whereas if I had my own business, I really felt like I'd had a lot more influence on, you know, the amount of outreach that I could grow to in conjunction with my business. So I just think there's, you know, there's more than one way. Nothing's wrong, but I think all of these approaches are necessary. I will say that. Definitely. I'm in total agreement with that. Yeah. We're going to start wrapping up here and we have a few more questions for you. Okay. And we know that you've been on this entrepreneur journey. You're still on this entrepreneur journey mm-hmm. and we're so excited to see where your entrepreneur journey is going to lead to. But we know in business, there are things that keep us up at night that Mm -hmm. keep our mind rolling and that put a little bit more added stress to us during the days and weeks. What is that thing that keeps you up at night 
and how are you working to overcome that? I feel sometimes with business, there's, you know, as soon as you knock something off the list, there's three more things that get added on. And this sliding effect, I've realized is a common level of stress that is never going to be, I think I'll never be able to get rid of it. I mean, there might be a a time, a moment of like, you know, feeling accomplished every blue moon. And I'm like, I got nothing to do today. I'm completely on top of it. But honestly, I think it's the whole adaptation. Like you have to adapt to the fact that there is going to be, you know, abnormalities when it comes to your work schedule. Like sometimes I'm up till 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, from the previous day trying to handle business overseas. And then I might have a morning uh, meeting the following time, you know, that same day, I guess, later on. And I had to adapt to understand that not being able to manage everything at one time is okay. I had dreams of, you know, when I first started, I was going to have a product out by this spring and then I'm not, I'll be ready for the hurricane season this year. And, you know, when it comes to making building a great product, it takes time. Everyone tells me it takes time and, it's, and it was true. I mean, I had to go through several iterations of the prototype and through testing and I had to let go. I had to let go and say, you know what? It wasn't right. I had to push that back. So, I mean, just adapting, adapting to disappointments, adapting to not feeling like you're on top of everything is just, and still being able to have a smile and feeling confident was is just something that I have to like every day coach myself through. I have a sign, you know, in front of my, my face right now that my girlfriend told me to write saying like, you are enough just because sometimes I'm like, I don't know this all and I have to learn it. And I have to remind myself I am enough because I still took it to this point and I can go further. I don't know what my potential is. And so you know, just coaching myself through through this type of stress allows me to sleep at night. But it's I know it's a general answer, but that's the truth. <laughs> so. I think many of us are going through that same thing. <laughs> yeah, and we definitely appreciate you sharing your story here today. What we want to know is what's next? What's on the horizon for mm-hmm. TPE, Climate Guard, and what are you most excited about right now? Well, what's next is the first batch production is going to be complete the end of this month or in September. I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, it's been in the works for a year. And so I'm, you know, I just cannot wait for people to see and experience that type of security that I'm promising. This product is some, is a product that I would use for my, my own personal car, you know, a brand new car, I would use it. And so I wanted to make sure that product was designed to the point where I would be confident behind it because this is my community that I'm starting this business in. So we're going to have a small batch made for September. And then after that, we're going to, I guess, relaunch basically with this new um, product, this new TPE version, because it's actually a different color. It's completely different color than what's been advertised. Hmm. It's going to be a, a vibrant, well, I'll tell you, it's going to be like a turquoise or vibrant blue color. And then on top of that, I will be starting the Did Inc. Accelerator program, which starts August 26th. So that's exciting for me. It's my first time being a part of an accelerator and it's going to be for three months. So, you know, China, a couple days, which I don't know when this recording is coming out, but China in August, followed by Did Inc. in August, followed by my product launch in September. So those are the three things that I'm really excited about. 
we are super, super, uber excited for you mm -hmm. as well. And if people want to find out more information about what you're doing, if they want to start following your journey, if there's people out there who want to help fund you, how do they get in contact with you? What's the best place? You can contact me through the website, climagard.co, C-L-I-M-A-G-U-A-R-D.co. Contact us. I'll get all the emails. And then you can also email me directly at Rahel, R-A-H-E-L, at climagard.co as well. And uh, yeah, you can hit me up and I will be happy to answer any questions that you may have. And I look forward to hearing from you all as well and collaborating, hopefully. Most definitely. Well, audience and every one of our listeners, we're so glad that you tuned in today and you're listening to this story. We want you to share your stories with us as well and give us some feedback on what were you most inspired by when you were listening to Rahel's interview and what actions are you going to take based on this interview? Thank you again, Rahel, for being with us today. We're so excited and we're so glad that you were here with us today. And we wish you luck and all the best. And we're here to support you with Texas Impact Alliance any way we can on your journey to making the world better. Thank you. And so thank much you for again. Me. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Bye, Crystal. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Balancing Impact. We bring the greatest minds and thinkers together from all different sectors of Texas with one common goal, making a positive impact. And you can make a positive impact right now. Just click subscribe to this show and you'll be first to hear new episodes jam-packed with content about people coming together for one common goal, positive impact for Texas.